You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the life, career, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along for the ride with me, as always, is TJ. Hey, guys. Hi, TJ. How was your week? It was good. How's your week? Oh. We always ask about my week. My week is crazy. What's your week like? <laughs> you know, my side job's doing a wedding videography. Yeah. And so I have a wedding coming up, and so I've just kind of been preparing for that. And busy, busy. Yeah, busy, busy doing some photography stuff. We actually have business to take care of, like actual genuine business, Woo-hoo! and I'm so excited. Me um, too. First of all, you guys at the top of the show heard... The new audio intro that was actually sent in by my friend Johnny Rock. So fun. It is so much fun. I love it. And he thank you so much for that. Yeah, he sent that to us like as a surprise to me. He sent me a a private message on Facebook and we've been friends we've been Facebook friends for years because we had auditioned for the same show and the show I don't think went anywhere, but we remained really good Facebook friends and he lives in the South. So he's Okay. He's actually from my home state or well, he's from my birth state. So we kept in touch. He's a really funny guy. Uh, He does a lot of really good things. And so uh, one day I just checked my private messages and he had sent this thing over just as a a gift to us. And so we're really thankful. That's so cool. And we are a million times uh, thankful for that because it's just so awesome because it harkens back to like old rock station yeah you know like wolfman jack kind of stuff so i love it and he 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 did such a good job and he was so sweet so johnny rock thank you so much for that thank you um we want to thank the people that left itunes reviews our itunes reviews we were so so genuinely excited when we started getting reviews (laughs) and so i wanted just to thank people that reviewed us the first four people that reviewed us and that is uh nanners uh jesse's girl 229 and then (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, are you at seductive, seductive hobbit, hobbit 22 <laughs> i love that there are 21 other seductive hobbits <laughs> that's kind uh, of priceless thank you, thank you so much seductive <laughs> hobbit 22 <laughs> oh and then one of the most clever names i can only assume that this guy's name is william because his his itunes name is uh, Bill shakes beer, and that's <laughs> okay. Bill shakes beer, as in B E. Oh, like R, like like Shakespeare, Shakespeare, but shakes beer. Yes, Shakespeare. <laughs> clever, clever, clever. Oh, I love that. We got our uh, very first Patreon. And, yeah, and, and thank you so much. So, I'm. I don't know if it's Andrea or Andrea, so I'm going to go with Andrea because southern girl that's just how i'm going to say it so we want to give you a huge shout out and a huge thank you for becoming our very very first patreon because she's our very first patreon she actually is going to get to choose the subject of one of our upcoming episodes so andrea thank you so much you made our day we really really appreciate it yeah and i think that's all the business that we have right now so today is going to be a rough one for me like it was for you with Patsy. Yeah, that was rough. Because uh, fan mail was, along with uh, superstar DJ Kaoki and LFO, the sound of my 1999 summer. Oh, my. I loved this group so much. 
And it was one of the reasons why my parents actually had MTV cut off in the downstairs was because I knew You're going to tell words. them who we're doing today? Well, I'm getting there. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> Sorry. Well, they should have known by if I said fan mail. A lot of some people would pick up that. But yeah, it could be. So today we are actually covering the life of Lisa Left Eye Lopez. First of all, I'm going to cite my sources. There were a lot of them. This was like a super deep dive for me. And I have like 12 pages of notes. So I'm really, really sorry. This might be possibly a longer one. But I know her whole story. So uh-huh. it might not take as long. I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> um, first of all, my sources are Crazy Sexy Cool, which was a film on VH1. And I actually went on eBay and someone was selling a copy. And I got really excited. A VH1 Behind the Music on TLC. The book A Sick Life by Tion T. Boz Watkins. An article from iHeart called Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC, A Look Back. I got information from her IMDb bio. And the film The Last Days of Left Eye, it was a a documentary that Lisa did a lot of recording of for herself. The director of that is Lauren Lazen. An article from The Boombox by Ken Kelly and Over the Waterfall, an article on the Philadelphia Weekly website by Solomon Jones. And so those are where I got all of my information from. So Lisa Left Eye Lopez was born Lisa Nicole Lopez on May 27th, 1971. So she is a... I missed that. What? <laughs> is she a Taurus? No, she is a Gemini. The same thing as my husband. <laughs> I I missed the birth date month. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm just going to start yelling out Taurus every time, aren't you? Yep. Taurus. Taurus. No? Okay. <laughs> no. I know uh, Libra. That's me. Because that's you and Chip. I think you have the same birthday. What's his birthday? 29th. We do have the same birthday. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so she is one-third of the best-selling group of all time, TLC. And you cannot tell the story of Lisa Left Eye Lopez without telling the story of TLC. Right. And so this is going to be a lot about TLC, but a lot about Lisa as well. Because when you're one-third of the highest-selling, highest-charting female group of all time, yeah, you can't really separate the three. Right. It's it's a part of who she is. So uh, she was born in Philadelphia. If you don't know that, that's in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, the daughter of Wanda, Denise, and uh, she's a seamstress. I couldn't find ages on them. At the time of one of the articles, it quoted her being 51 at the time of the article. So we can't. Yeah. So, and, But she was a seamstress, just like Patsy Klein's just mother. Just like Patsy's mom. And Ronald Lopez Sr., a U.S. staff sergeant. And she was of, oh, see, I'm going to butcher this because this is Cape Verdeen, Cape Verdeen, Portuguese and African-American descent. She has a younger brother, Ronald Jr., and a younger sister, Raina, who goes professionally by Raindrop. And that's spelled R-E-I-G-N-D-R-O-P. Oh, okay. Like Raindrop. Like a queen rains. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which is clever. Yes. She says, in the beginning, I was really, really tiny for my age. My mom said when they first brought me out to her, she said that she had scared her. All she could see were these big black eyes, and I looked like an alien. She took me home, and she could not get me to sit down. I was self-sufficient at, like, one. She was up and running by seven months, and no one knew where I was going or what I was going to get into. Lopez says her father was very strict and very domineering, and that he treated the family like they were in boot camp. So if she did bad in school, she got heavy-duty punishment, 
No TV, no radio, no front porch, no backyard, no boyfriends, no nothing. She just had to sit in her room and think. He was also a talented musician, and he played the harmonica, clarinet, piano, and saxophone. See, I could have dealt with the no TV thing, but the no radio? Well, if you're going to punish a child, you take away what they love. Well, yeah. Well, I know. That's why I'm saying. Like, I would have had a really hard time with that if it's like you got to sit in your room, but no, you can't listen to your radio. Like, what? No. Um, he was also a talented musician, and he played the harmonica, clarinet, piano, and saxophone. And Lopez would also uh, was often vocal about her personal life and difficult past, and she readily admit that she had come from an abusive alcoholic background and struggle, struggled with uh, alcoholism herself. Like, her father was really weird. He would run the, the household like a boot camp, but then would encourage Lisa at, like, age five to drink. Like, have some... What? Yeah. Very, very, very weird. Lopez taught herself piano by the age of five, and her talent did not go unrecognized by her domineering dad. He pushed her into talent contests and punished her if she performed poorly. His influence would shape her entire life from her musical ambitions to her substance abuse issues and her dysfunctional romantic entanglements and interest in spiritualism. So it's, it's really odd that she would come from such a volatile background and then to see her later on in life, though it was troubled, at the end of it, she was becoming more spiritual and trying to overcome what she had dealt with. Well, yeah, because I mean, I feel like a lot of times when you go through all of that, it kind of, I mean, you're aware that it's happening. And sometimes it either takes you right down with it or you find a way to grow from it and find another way, find some peace, find, you know, whatever it is that helps you. <clears throat> So, uh, in between all this, Wanda said that her husband also often brought alcohol and drugs with the money that should have gone to paying for rent and food, and he would sometimes leave the family stranded penniless on a military base while he shipped out to deployments, and so she would have oh nothing, and he wouldn't be sending money even though he would be receiving his payment from the army, he it didn't go he back into send, the family. He wouldn't send them. Ugh. Yeah. Once the fighting, like once uh, they had such a a huge fight about this that the family got evicted from the base housing at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and the violent spats sometimes involved other family members. And this will actually come into play Jeez. later on. Wanda says that Lopez's mother, Gladys, would become part of the disputes and Ronald's sister, Karen, once broke a window at the house in an effort to defend her brother. Another time, Wanda's father had to intercede when a brother-in-law threatened to beat her. So this is just like two families going at it. Jeez. Yeah. And this, and, and then all, in all this, there's like these poor, three poor helpless just, kids. I was going to say, yeah, that's just terrible too because you think about the kids in the situation and like they can't do anything about it. They're just stuck there witnessing it and being party to it. And then you have to think what that did to Lisa because she's the oldest, so she feels like she has to protect her. Yeah, she's going to feel responsible for protecting the other kids. Yeah. When asked how the chaos impacted the kids, Lisa said, Lisa's brother said that it affected them all in different ways. My father made me afraid of him, which kind of put me in a shell for a good portion of my life. And see, that's how it would affect him. With Lisa, it was different. She always expressed herself and felt strongly about what she believed in. I admired her because at that point, I couldn't do it. I was too scared of my father. When Lisa was 10, her parents separated. They didn't divorce. They just kind of moved on. Yeah. Wanda took the children. Her mother took the children and moved to Florida. 
And then there was a divorce, and Wanda returned to Philadelphia soon after. Ronald was stabbed in a dispute and nearly died. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just this this history of violence is happening. So her parents divorced when she was still in school, and when she was 13, she ended up being raised by her paternal grandmother for the the later years of her childhood. She began to play with a toy keyboard at the age of five and later composed her own songs. So uh, there was a story that she could actually listen to the theme song from Close Encounters of the Third Kind and play it back <laughs> by ear. Oh, that's cool. And she was like five or six at the time. And so... Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, you learn so much easier when you're a kid than when you're an adult. By age 10, she had formed a musical trio, The Lopez Kids, with her siblings. Aww. who I know that's so cute. <laughs> with whom she sang gospel songs at local events and churches. And she attended the Philadelphia High School for Girls. And I've, I've seen conflicting things that she didn't graduate, things that she did graduate, and things that she got her GED. Okay. So I'm not really sure because there's a lot of different sources. And mm-hmm. the one solid piece of information, which was T-Boss's book, really didn't make mention of it. So forgive me for not having that piece of information. I, I did try to look it up, but there are so many different things that were being said about it that yeah, I'm I just didn't write it down at age 19 she relocated to atlanta where she responded to an ad placed by a teenaged crystal jones who was looking for others to join her group second nature along with a hairstylist named tion t boz watkins and the the t boz if people are wondering actually stands for the boss <laughs> nice and i i like that um <laughs> of course you do <laughs> ld yep. equals little dictator remember <laughs> <laughs> Oh, callbacks. (laughs) Lopez joined the group and got the attention of the producer Perry Pebbles Reed, who dubbed the group TLC and replaced Jones in in T-Boss's book. She said that they would practice, and then when they went in front of Pebbles, Crystal barely sang and didn't move around a lot, and they needed, like, someone who had a personality. Yeah, somebody who had, like, a big personality, a big singer, and a big, big personality, and she just didn't cut it she was replaced with rosanda chili thomas t-boss told the story about how they had to break the news to crystal and they said that pebbles made it clear that they didn't want crystal in the group anymore but it was up to the girls to do it oh that's rough oh it gets a little bit rougher with pebbles so hold on (laughs) they had to go to crystal's house and they were super stressed out so that when they get there they're like hey how's it going yeah. You know, like, we're, you know, just about to to give the bad news. And Lisa just screamed, girl, we got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that Pebble wants to sign us, and the bad news is we don't want you in the group no more. So Absolutely. she was like this, like, little firecracker, and T-Boz was so taken aback by it that she just started laughing. But apparently Crystal was pretty understanding and, you know, wished them luck. And so I I feel bad for Crystal. Because of this, I have to... Stop here and explain who Pebbles is, because so much of TLC's beginnings come from her. And Perry Pebbles Reed was a singer and a songwriter who scored a number of 1980-1990 hits and is credited with discovering TLC. She actually gave them their names. Okay. Because it was initially supposed to be, you know, Tion, Crystal, and Lisa. Right. TLC. Yeah. She was born Perry... McKissick on November 6th and this says 1996 that's not right I think it's 1964 
1996. How did you get? How do you get from 1996 to 1964? Typos. <laughs> okay. This is why I try to double cross all my things. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to take that back. Uh, she was born Perry McKissick in Oakland, California, and Pebble started out in the 80s as a backup singer for Confunction, a funk group whose body lover singers she actually helped write. By 1988, she had adopted the name Pebbles and dropped her debut album. It was a self-titled effort that spawned the hits Girlfriend and Mercedes Boy. So most people know, you know, the, won't you take a ride in my Mercedes Boy? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I probably didn't even sing that right. The record featured production credits from uh, L.A. Reed, who she married in 1989. And L.A. Reed, nay Antonio Marcus, L.A. Reed is an American record executive. He is an A&R representative and a panelist. And he was the former and current chairman, co-chairman of Hitco Entertainment. He a also panelist of what? Huh? Panelist of what? Panels. Okay. <laughs> he co-founded LaFace Records. He served as the chairman and CEO of Epic Records and the Island Def Jam Music Group, the president and CEO of uh, Arista Records. After releasing Always, Pebbles co-founded the label Savvy Records and formed TLC, you know, the people that we're talking about now, yeah. to Pepitone, which was her Atlanta-based production company. And she was the one that oversaw the release of Ooh on the TLC Tip, which was their first album, and Crazy Sexy Cool, the mega-selling album that produced the Smash singles, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, What About Your Friends, Creep, and Waterfalls, among others. So if you ask TLC if she was a bad manager and after Crazy Sexy Cool, if you ask TLC, she was a bad manager. And after Crazy Sexy Cool, the group parted ways with Perry, blaming her for mishandling funds and swindling them out of millions. But we'll actually talk about the actual deal a little bit later because that does have a massive effect on the girls. Okay. So here's where things get a little crazy to preserve the band's original name. Rosanda needed to have a name that started with a C. So they actually changed her name to Chili. So they were TLC now. Uh, a name chosen by Lopez. So Lisa actually named Chili because she was really cool. Oh, um, cool. Bandmate Tion Watkins became T-Boss, derived from the first letter of her name, and Boz, which was slang for boss. Lopez was renamed to Left Eye after a compliment from a man who once told her that he was attracted to her because of her left eye, which is oddly specific. That's a weird thing. Well, because, and then later on in the career, like, didn't she, like, cover oh, her left eye? Hold on. Lisa emphasized her nickname by wearing a pair of glasses with the right lens covered with a condom in keeping with the group's promotion of safe sex. Right. Later on, wearing a black stripe under her left eye and eventually got her left eyebrow pierced. So she was very left eye centric. Yeah. In January 1991, Lopez was actually celebrating the group getting signed to a management deal when she, in the, the VH1 made for TV movie, it was the same day where basically pebbles signed the girls and she goes to call her father and she finds out that he was actually murdered she received the news lopez was celebrating the group so getting lopez's signed. dad yeah okay she was getting signed to a management deal when she got the devastating news that her father had been shot and killed she was just on the brink of the stardom and his violent death forever denied her the approval that she always sought for him that she would continue to seek for the rest of her life so she never got that opportunity to no. 
you know, she gets this management deal with a huge company, and the day that it happens, her father's murdered. Talk about a bittersweet day. Like, yeah. Apparently, I don't know. It was really hard to find any information about how her father died because anything that I looked up about Ronald Sr. just said father of Lisa Lopez. So there really wasn't any information. I couldn't, I dug and I dug and I really couldn't find any information and I kind of ran out of time. So um, in the film, it sounded like he was shot. Okay. Which, given his past, didn't seem very uncommon with, with the violence that was happening. So, I mean, it's just really sad that she never, she would never get that approval from her dad. Well, that he really wouldn't get to, that he really wouldn't get to see and hear what she was doing, you know. Yeah. Almost immediately after signing the label, they went into the studio to make their first album with mega producers, Jermaine Dupree, Dallas Austin, Babyface, and Daryl Simmons. And Babyface? They, yeah. He's That's part cool. of LaFace Records. Yeah. And it's... LaFace is L-A-F-A-C-E. L-A stands for L.A. Reed. Right. And Face is Babyface. I didn't realize that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, they recorded their tracks with Dallas at Doppler Studios in Atlanta. I'm just going to call it on the TLC tip because I feel bad saying woo. On the TLC <laughs> tip dropped on February the 25th. On LaFace and Arista Records, the album title came from the last line of their first single, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. I love Ain't Too Proud to Beg. If I need it in the morning or the middle of the night, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Oh, oh that's right. Um, I love this story because it's it's such a moment in time that you can relate to. That one moment where you have something that's so big and you just want to shout it to the world. And so they were in Chili's car. And it was a really crappy Volkswagen Beetle, and it had a hole in the floor. So when <laughs> like she was Flintstone yeah, style, like, like when she was driving, just stuff would like fall out of the car. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, and they were in the parking lot of the Taco Bell, and their song came on the radio. And so they they that's, just that's bl- such a huge, huge, huge moment for any artist when yeah. you get when you first hear your very first song especially on the radio mm-hmm. that's such a huge moment yeah so they said that they pumped up they they started blasting the car radio and running around and screaming and forgive me for all the young listeners this is a direct quote oh shit we about to blow up <laughs> <laughs> and i love that i love i love lisa so much <laughs> So after it came out, the the album started climbing the charts. Ain't Too Proud to Beg actually came out in November, and it made it to number six on the Billboard Hot 100. And Baby, Baby, Baby made it to number two. And the album itself made it to number three and sold four million copies. Wow. Yeah. The girls were shocked because they had never even been on stage yet. They were just a radio act. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. At this point. At this point, they're just a radio act. And so, and remember... Shania Twain had a similar thing where people that she was just a studio artist and people began to doubt that she could actually sing that. And that's why she started touring. It's like, no, I actually can do this. Right. Side story. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Uh, The first time they were on stage was June the 6th, 1992, opening up for MC Hammer. And that was huge. Yeah, MC Hammer was really big. Him, it, he was huge he in was 1992. Huge that in was 92, that was yeah. he was a massive act. He had his own pants. 
Well, was that the time yet? Well, yeah. No, he had he had the hammer pants, but they the were hammer pants. Yeah, yeah. Can't touch this. Mm-mm-mm. Hammer, hammer time. I I I should note that uh, during this time, T. Boz, at some point in her life, had been uh, diagnosed with sickle cell anemia, and so she would be drained, dehydrated. She would collapse. You know, and 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 that's one of the reasons why her out her uh, book is titled "A Sick Life," and it means mm. like six different things. And I think it's a brilliant title for a book. Yeah, <clears throat> the du- um, double and triple entendres. Yeah. So, at the conclusion of the tour, TLC had received a very small amount of money to this point, and they decided to take more control of their careers, and thus inform Pebbles that they no longer wish to be that they wished for her to be their manager. Reed released them from the management deal, but they remained signed to Pepitone and Reed continued to receive a share of their earnings. So they're kind of out, but not completely out. And I will cover, you know, this, this was covered a little bit more in the, um, the short short set set. where there was a massive conflict of interest when it came to what Pebbles was doing to TLC. Right. Legally. Yeah. So music biz, man, sometimes. Yeah. So Reed continued to receive a share of their earnings. Also in 1994, TLC played the musical group Sex as a Weapon in the New Line Cinema film House Party 3 starring Kid and Play. <laughs> and there, that is a, a sentence I did not think I was going to say. <laughs> Remember Kid and Play? I love the 90s. God, it was so good. <laughs> I do remember them. Okay, in 1993, rocking back a little bit, uh, they were really riding high on the TLC tip. And in March of that year, Lisa met and began dating Atlanta Falcons football star Andre Bad Moon Risen. I love it. His nickname That's is cool. Bad Moon. I want that nickname. <laughs> I want that nickname. <laughs> From now on, I'll be LD Bad Moon Ehrlich. It doesn't work if your last name's not rising, though. I have dreams. You have dreams? Have dreams. From the onset of their relationship, things were highly combustible with the pair and i use that word for a reason combustible uh-oh Ooh, it gets good who got who got set on fire oh so less than six months into their relationship risen was arrested in the parking lot after he physically abused lopez reportedly shooting a handgun in the air in an attempt to thwart others from intervening charges against risen were eventually dropped but the incident did not signal the end of the turmoil between the two holy crap yeah, that's some. Old, it's not funny at all. But in my brain, when you talk about him shooting a handgun in the air, I just think like that's some old west kind of stuff right there. Like wh- yeah. what? Like who does that? Yeah. On the night of June eighth, nineteen ninety four, Ryzen was reportedly out clubbing with some of his friends. Annoyed with Andre, Left Eye also went out with some friends, but returned home before Ryzen. He returned home at approximately five a.m. on June ninth and was greeted by an agitated Lopez, reportedly angry because he bought himself a lot of new stickers without getting her any in the... <laughs> I mean, that's that seems like a legit couple argument. Like, there's that's legitimate. But the way that they showed it, it was like... But, but like, if it was... That's like bicker level of like, I can't believe you did this. No, no, no. But he bought like 30 pairs of shoes and she started going through them and she's like, I don't see a size four. And that really got her worked up. Oh, no. So she looked in the closet, and there were just stacks and stacks of brand new sneakers 
And she was like, all right, one of these better be for me. And I knew she had been drinking some Rise and Told People magazine, but I didn't know what was upsetting her. And I started taking blows to the face. Finally, I grabbed her and asked what's wrong, but she kept coming at me. Claiming self-defense, Ryzen allegedly slapped Lopez trying to calm her down. When that didn't work, the couple moved inside the house where Ryzen reportedly picked up the TLC star, slammed her onto the bed, and sat on her in a repeated effort to control her. When that failed, Ryzen left the home. Yes, because that always calms me down is when someone's trying to restrain me. Oh, yeah. That's the way to, to calm me the best way yeah, that like, you can get me to calm down is say calm down. And that is a lie. <laughs> yeah. It was at that point that uh, Lopez allegedly collected all of the pairs of shoes, tossed them into the bathtub, then went outside, took a vacuum cleaner pipe to the windshields to two of Ryzen's luxury vehicles. Ooh. And then she set fire to all of the sneakers. But she thought the tub was made of porcelain. And it was actually made of fiberglass. Uh oh. And the whole house was engulfed in flames by the time she was done destroying his car. And there's video of this, so you can go online and just look up, you know, Lisa Lopez burns down Andre Risen's home. There's video of it. It was bad. It Holy was really moly. bad. Before long, the entire mansion was engulfed in flames, and Risen's brother Reggie reportedly seeing the TLC star standing over the whirlpool. Outside the house, watching the fire spread. So, and it's weird because in some of the uh, reports, like the event where he held her down on the bed happened before he went out. In some reports, she was the only person there. In some reports, you know, he had just left or somebody else was there. And, you know, it was a lot of conflicting things. But it it was pretty obvious that she had done it. Right. By the time uh, Ryzen returned home or to what was his home, Little of the building was left standing. So on June 10th, Lopez turned herself into the Atlanta police to face the music. And she was charged with felony arson, but was released on $75,000 bail. Approximately five days later, her lawyer announced that Lopez had voluntarily entered rehab. So at least she knew she screwed up and that was like her low point. I'm like, okay, I can't be doing that, you know. Yeah, for his part, Ryzen denied ever having abused the singer, stating it hurts me because I'm not like that. We did everything together, shopped, cooked, laughed, cried, went to nightclubs, parks, functions. You know, I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't, I, legally, I don't think yeah. we can say anything about that. Yeah, we but, can't really touch that, you know, like, whether you believe him or not, because that's the thing, is that I, it's really I, hard to know for certain. Yeah, and, and we weren't there. Right. And she's not here to defend and our, herself yeah, and, and it's and definitely not our place to say, whether, place to it, say. whether or not it's true yeah uh despite lopez's assertion that she did not intend to burn the entire house down she was sentenced to live at a halfway house and five years probation in addition to paying a ten thousand dollar fine so five years probation and eighty five thousand dollars for burning down a house yeah i could live with that and while this could have been the end of the line for most couples they did not break up oh Lopez and Risen remained committed to one another after the fire, and then after her sentence, Risen held Lopez's hand and said that he forgave the rapper, and the two even planned to eventually get married. However, those plans were tragically cut short, but we're getting to that. Okay. 
TLC's second album, Crazy Sexy Cool, saw the girls reunite with producer Dallas Austin, who I think had an on-again, off-again relationship with Chili. TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool album saw the group reunited with producers Dallas Austin, Babyface, and Jermaine Dupree, as well as new collaborators, Organized Noise, Chucky Thompson, and I don't know what he wants to be called now. What are we calling Puff Daddy? Is he Sean Combs, Puffy, Puff Daddy, Puffy? All of the above. I yeah. Diddy. Diddy? I think oh, that, that's I right. Did, Diddy. I think, was yeah, Diddy, Diddy. along? But is it Diddy currently or? Diddy Combs? I don't. I don't know. Lopez was released from rehab to attend the recording sessions, but the finalized album features significantly less of her raps and vocals. So they had dialed it back from what had been on the, the TLC tip. Okay. An R&B and hip-hop solo album, Crazy Sexy Cool, featured hip-hop beats, funk, deep grooves, propulsive rhythms, and smooth production. Released on November 15th, 1994, Crazy Sexy Cool was critically acclaimed with Rolling Stones ranking it among the 500 greatest albums of all time. It debuted at number 15, eventually peaking at number 3 on the Billboard 200 and spent over two years on the chart. Uh, the album sold over 11 million copies in the United States alone and received diamond certification from RIAA with worldwide sales exceeding 23 million copies. Crazy Sexy Cool became one of the best-selling albums by a girl group of all time and was later outsold by the Spice Girls. Oh, I know. So stylistically, the music saw a shift to a smoother, more mid-tempo soul group territory that left little room for Lopez's boisterous rap interludes. So maybe that was part of it. There was a maybe. shift in tone where before it was more of that kind of like like early 90s funky sound, which would give her room to breathe in those interludes. And with Crazy Sexy Cool, there was less of that. She spent much of the recordings in court-ordered rehab while Watkins and Thomas took more active roles, along with no less than 18 different songwriters and producers. Holy bucket. That's a lot. Yeah. Lisa was the only one in TLC, though, to write Waterfalls, a song that spent nearly two months at number one and became one of their signature tunes. That song is, I mean, even today is so huge, like... It's, it's still one of those songs that gets played and is remembered so well. And In 1995, things got really bad because they actually had to file for bankruptcy, claiming that their manager Pebbles had mismanaged their money, so now they were broke. And Pebbles denies the accusations. And I was going to say, didn't they fire Pebbles, though, well no, before but, this but, point? No, but they had kept her on. They fired her from the management. Not from the label. Oh, but she was still with the la- on the yeah. label side. Yeah, oh, and that's okay. we. Pebbles denies the accusations and claims that she was only looking out for TLC's best interest in everything that she did. Soon, TLC and Pebbles parted ways completely, and Pebbles' marriage to Ellie Reed also dissolved. Uh, the details of their deal and her with her production company were detailed in the episode of VH1's Behind the Music, which alleges that the group owed the label approximately $500,000 when it filed for bankruptcy in 1995. So they owed the label, just the label, $500,000. Oh, yeah, you'd be surprised how much you end up owing the label as an artist. Yeah, the deal they signed with Pebbles, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad, Lisa said. It was just the type of deal that new artists get. Mm -hmm. So the bad thing about the deal was that Pebbles had assigned to so many deals, she had her finger in the pot across the board. In a 2013 interview on the Wendy Williams show, Pebbles was asked if she could have TLC buy their name back for her. And she agreed on one She was getting paid just on their name? Yeah. So Pebbles agreed 
at one million dollars per letter. What? Yeah. So, so like it was my name, not theirs. I created that name. The girl so she had, trademarked it, but she was getting paid a licensing. I'm assuming on the name, but they had to pay her one million dollars per letter. So she got paid three million dollars for the name TLC. Jeez, I love this because this was actually like a a quote from Left Eye, and she said this in a couple different radio interviews and and things like that. She said. This is how a group can sell 10 million records and be broke. And everybody, Mm -hmm. get ready to do your math. There are 100 points on an album. TLC has seven. Every point is worth eight cents. All right, seven times eight is 56 cents. That means every time an album gets sold, TLC gets 56 cents. Sell 10 million records. 5.6 million sounds like a lot of money. That's the addition here comes the subtraction. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's it, criminal. Yeah, like you have to understand in the music in, the music industry, the business side is criminal. Yeah, the people that are out there, unless you find other ways to subsidize, most of the time you make pennies, fractions of pennies on the dollar per album sold well the, it like, ended up it ended up they were getting something like fifteen thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. because you had to take that and then there's the management fee the label fee well, the, the and the, they take all of that out of the money before they give you a cent so when when they spend money on your marketing when they spend money to make a music video when they spend money to take photos when they spend money on anything at all for you it basically goes onto a big tab, and that tab has to be paid before you see a cent. Yeah. So that's kind of where you get, I mean, you get screwed a lot of times. And unless you've paid really close attention to that contract and you've been <clears throat> able to negotiate something that works out nine times out of ten, especially in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s and everything, you know, you're really not getting anything at all. And the label will spare no expense to get the product yep so i mean your recording sessions and like anytime they send you a limo because they want to wine and dine you and anytime they take you to lunch most of the time you paid and didn't even realize it well that's the thing is that they they ended up getting cars and they thought that it was a gift nope nope so the success was followed by half a decade of uh, contract wrangling, bankruptcy filing, and inner band feuding. Lopez let it be known publicly that she feel, felt creatively stifled with TLC, who were moving further away from their original sound. And so what we thought was like a good thing before is in her eyes becoming, they're, they're moving away More from More difficult their, for yeah. her. Okay. Yeah. Preliminary work on TLC's third studio album was delayed when friction arose between the groups and their main producer, Dallas Austin, who was... By this time, dating Chile and helping to raise their son, Tron. Austin wanted $4.2 million and creative control to work on the project, resulting in a standoff between the producer and the artists. During this period, Thomas appeared in the independent film Have Plenty, while Watkins co-starred with rappers Nas and DMX in Hype Williams' 1998 film Belly. Under Lopez's guidance, Black released their 1999 self debut album which was certified platinum and uh, contained two top 10 singles on the billboards hot 100 black side note about black correct me if i'm wrong podcast world but they played the clovers 
in Bring It On behind Gabrielle Union. And one of their members, I believe, was actually also killed in a car accident. Lopez also hosted a short-lived MTV talent series, The Cut, which featured then-unknown recording artists Neo and Anastasia. TLC eventually began working with other producers for their third album until finally negotiations with Austin, who produced the bulk of their album. Lopez also had the idea of a futuristic feel for the project, which Austin incorporated into the album. Titled Fan Mail... The album was released in February 1999 to another critical and commercial success. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and was certified six-time platinum by the RIAA for six million copies shipped to the United States. I owned that album. <laughs> and the worldwide sales exceeded 14 million copies. No Scrubs was released as the lead single and became a worldwide hit, topping the single charts in Australia, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and the United States. The album's second single, Unpretty, became TLC's fourth number one hit on the Billboard 100. The other three singles also received decent audio play. Silly Ho, I'm Good at Being Bad, which is my favorite song on that (laughs) album. I love that song. So the other three singles also received decent radio play. Silly Ho, I'm Good at Being Bad, and Edmund's written ballad, Dear Lie. That's a good song, too. At the 42nd Annual Grammy Awards, Fan Mail received eight nominations and won three awards. Best R&B Album, Best R&B Song, and Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. The last two for No Scrubs. Dude, no, I just remember you could not escape No Scrubs. Nope. You still can't. Still can't, and I'm okay with that. At the Lady of Soul Awards, the group was honored with the uh, Aretha Franklin Entertainer of the Year Award. That's huge. Yeah. The group went on a worldwide tour entitled the Fan Mail Tour. The group had a pay-per-view special of the tour, which at the time became the pay-per-view's highest-grossing television special of all time. That's awesome. So after the release of Fan Mail, Lopez began to expand her solo career. She became a featured rapper on several singles, including Spice Girls' Melanie C's Never Be the Same Again, which topped the charts in 35 countries, including the United Kingdom. She was also featured on You Know What's Up, the first single from Donnell Jones' second album, Where I Want to Be, and she rapped a verse in Space Cowboy with NSYNC on their 2000 album No Strings Attached. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> on... October 24, 2000, Lopez co-hosted UK's MOBO Awards, MOBO Awards, with Trevor Nelson, where she performed You Know What's Up with Jones. She also collaborated on Gimme Some with Tony Braxton for her 2000 album, The Heat. I love Tony Braxton. I was going to say, uh, I love me some Tony. I love Tony. She's great. She's such a great vocalist. She had been previously featured on Keith Sweat's song, How Do You Like It? And in 2001, she appeared in a Gap commercial. In July 2001, Lopez appeared on the singer's edition of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, along with Joey McIntyre, Tyrese, Nick Lachey, and Leanne Walmack. I guess she missed the question on the $125,000 question and won $32,000 for her charity. After her death in 2002, the episode that she appeared in was shown and it was dedicated to her. Lopez created Left Eye Productions to discover new talent because she'd done really well on the cut finding Anastasia. She was mentoring the R&B trio Black and helped secure them a record deal with Columbia Records. Their self-titled album was executively produced by Lopez who made a cameo appearance in their video 808 and also wrapped in their second music video for I Do. Lopez was also developing and promoting another new band called Egypt. They worked with Lopez on on her second album under her new nickname, Nina, N-I-N-A, meaning new identity, not applicable. Lopez recorded her first solo album, but when Arista Records refused to release it domestically, she was essentially adrift. 
and things had kind of fractured with TLC at this point. But, I mean, if you think about it, they had been together for a very long time, gone through right. so much together. You know, it's and they're, they're sisters. At this yeah. point, they are sisters. They're family to each other. Right. So she was working on developing other artists in the Atlanta area. She cut cameo vocals for other big acts. And she became romantically involved with Marion Suge Knight. What happened with Ryzen? Did we miss that part? They they are on again, off again, on again, on again, off again. Because you said they yeah, were supposed to get engaged and yeah. then tragic and then, okay. Yeah. We haven't gotten there we yet? We haven't gotten there okay. yet. You're on a train and you're coming from Hollywood. Well, but you have to stop in, <laughs> in Universal City before you get to North Hollywood. No, no, no. I was just thinking it's dissolved with hi- with him at this point because now she's getting involved with Suge Knight. So I thought maybe I it, missed something. You know, it. and here's the thing. Until their death, like to, until her death, they were kind of on again, off again. It seemed like, okay, you know, and at this point she's off with him and on with Suge Knight. Got it. Just had a clarify that she's still kind of back and forth yeah rising okay yeah but she became romantically involved with marion suge knight hip-hop mogul and convicted felon with a violent reputation and she made plans to release a record for his label as nina and relatives were privately worried about her relationship with knight whom she was involved with for for not that long it was several months like it wasn't it wasn't like rising where you know they were together for a long time she burned down her house and then they got back together after lisa broke up with knight she told at least two relatives that the record executive had choked her after she asked him how large an advance for signing with his label would be like how much she would get he and choked her for that okay allegedly again, again allegedly i don't want to piss off Shug knight yeah ditto okay so we're just we're, we're just going to walk away from this quietly and crisply. Despite the allegations, Knight is planning to release some of the music that Lisa worked on with him on The Row just months before her death. And I should say at this point, her family is not pleased, which I can understand. But if she signed a contract, he can do whatever he wants with it. Yeah. She worked with the Lost Boys of Sudan Foundation in recent years. According to relatives, the music started to become less and less important to her. The whole process was less important to her. She provided money and lodging for people who couldn't afford it and sometimes wouldn't care for themselves. So it came to a point in Lisa's life where music became less of the priority for her and helping others started becoming more important Mm -hmm. and putting herself in the right frame of mind became more important. She began the process of adopting a girl named Snow whose mother had met. She had met Snow's mom in the rehab group after she had burned down Andre's home and Snow like many of the people Lisa tried to help was really troubled she had suffered a rough home life with a mother whose on again and off again addiction had scarred her and it showed once relatives say that Lisa took the girl to church and during the service the girl ran to the front and screamed out that she hated God and everyone in the sanctuary eventually Lisa returned Snow to her mother other ventures including a book a clothing line a doll line and a documentary began to take priority along with the relentless search for her father that took her into the spiritual realm so this whole time even though he's gone she's still trying to find his approval she's still trying to right find signs that he approved of her i know that she really missed uh missed him says one of her friends when you're missing someone you're searching for it and you do things that people think are odd to try to find it and trying to find happiness and trying to fill that void and that's such a true thing right <sighs> but you need to fill it up with the, you need to fill it with the the good things and not the bad things and a lot of people maybe don't know the difference between the two 
Well, I think that happens a lot of times is that we try to fill it with alcohol or drugs try to fill it with something bad relationships you know and can it can be toxic depending on what you try to fill it with if you fill Mm -hmm. it with you know art and creativity and beauty it's one thing but then you know some people go the opposite direction and fill it with these toxic substances sometimes she would disappear behind closed doors for hours even days in an effort to talk to her father's spirit and sometimes according to relatives she believed that she succeeded i heard her mention it before and i also found a letter where she conversed with my father and with Tupac and wrote down what my father was saying. So this is actually after Tupac had died. There was like a, a, a couple stories about how she actually got to meet Tupac before he passed away. And um, that quote was from her brother. Okay. Seeing that made me understand more about why Lisa was fasting and how serious she was about her spirituality. I wish that I would have known how deep she was into certain things. I would have spent more time with her. She probably felt as though the rest of the family didn't understand. And again, like Patsy and like Stevie, she had premonitions of her own death. Yeah. And she also began to drink heavily. While she was trying to find a new direction in life, she started making trips to Honduras with the dreams of creating a children's home on the land she owned there. She also became a frequent resident of Dr. Sebas Usa Healing Village, a retreat where she fasted and took herbal medicine and sought a higher plane so that she could communicate with her father's spirit. In the footage shot just before the day she died, she candidly talked about him and about her turbulent past. Right up until the end, Lisa left I. Lopez was still trying to come to terms with all of the drama. The sun was beating down on the 13 concrete huts in the herbalist's healing village, a compound at the base of the flourishing green hills near the town of Dupata, and I hope I'm saying that right. But the smoldering heat was a welcomed respite for the 30-year-old Philadelphian who had overcome the turbulence of her upbringing to become a Grammy-winning recording artist. Honduras represented an escape from hangers-on, abusive relationships, and constant turmoil, and a nagging sense of loss that she had been carrying for more than a decade. She was just looking to do something different with her life, her mother said. She had been drinking all the time and she wasn't happy. She'd have blackouts. She didn't know what would happen. And she would say that she had a split personality, which uh, T-Boss actually talks about in her book that, that, you know, she had Nikki, she had Nina, she had Nicole, she had Lisa, she had Left Eye, she had all of these different personalities. And so when she'd drink, like, Nikki would come out. For three years, Lopez, a generous free spirit who gave... Even though there was nothing left to give, found refuge in a place that she referred to as the bush. So she would she would go into Honduras, and she wouldn't tell anybody that she was leaving. She would just go. And so she had bought a little bit of land there, and uh, she would just go and just basically be like Jane of the Jungle. Like she put her bandana on and put her bathing suit on, and she'd just run around the jungle being free. And she would go swimming, and she'd hang out by the river, and basically just the weight of the world would lift off her shoulders like right. Honduras was like her safe place her beautiful place like that place that she should go that she could go and fulfill that emptiness yeah and it's something that she always wanted and so and that was what Honduras was for her okay uh, in Honduras she fasted and devoured books on Christianity Buddhism and spirit spiritual communication she consumed herbs that she believed took her to a higher spiritual plane she told those close to her that she had communicated with the spirit of her father whose murder always haunted her but in the midst of the physical cleansing that transformed her giving a peace that sometimes showed through her face lisa had dreams i don't know what this word is but okay so but lisa it's it's portents but i don't know what that means but basically she would tell people that basically what would happen is she would she would fast. 
right. for days and days, including like up to 40 days, she would fast. Holy moly. And so, of course, you know, when you start denying yourself food, you start, you start hallucinating. hallucinating. And she started having premonitions of her own death. So her brother, so she's basically because of this fasting, she would start having these dreams and hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And according to her brother, she was telling me about a, a dream she had. It was two lions that bit off two heads. And she told me something that she thought was going to happen to her on a trip to Honduras. But she felt like it was going to be to one of the girls in Egypt, the band that she was taking care of. Mm-hmm. Two of them were Leos and two of them were Gemini. And she said that she felt that it was inevitable that something was going to happen. And two weeks into that visit, something did. But it's not what you think. Okay. Lisa and other members of her entourage left a village in a car driven by her assistant, Stephanie Patterson. That evening, according to those who were there, it was stifling in Honduras. The air was just thick. Like, right. it, like and, and it was thick in the sense that, yes, it was, like, heavy and humid, but you could feel like something bad was going to happen. It was just in the air. Mm-hmm. Ronald sensed it while watching vultures devour a horse's carcass and a flock of birds making Ugh. shrill screaming noises from the trees. Lisa's cousin, Jasmine Brooks, felt felt it in the very walls of the hut that they were staying in. The air was thick. While we were staying there, people who were sick went to get well. They would take the herbs to get better, and if they didn't get better, they would die there. A few people died in the room, and when I was in the room, I felt haunted, which is a pretty strong word, but I would say that there were actually spirits in the room. Brody said that she could feel their presence not just in the huts but in the air, and that made her uncomfortable and afraid and eventually caused her to make an early return to the States on April 13th, but not before the night of the first accident. It was dark when the car driven by Lopez's assistant left the village. It's commonplace for people to walk into the roads, like like not on the sidewalk. There's not a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. So it's just commonplace for people to like walk on the roads. Right. Uh, that wind through Honduras, and it's very difficult to see pedestrians. And when a family crossed the road in front of their car, there was a thud of a little boy's body slamming against the vehicle. Who was driving? Patterson, her assistant. Okay. Lisa's party stopped and found the boy critically wounded, and they loaded him into the car. And Lisa cradled him in her arms as he basically was bleeding out. Someone tried to give him mouth-to-mouth, and they rushed him to the nearby hospital. Once there, someone called Lisa to the back, and they said that they... So basically what happened was they took him to the hospital, and they had to call Ronald, who was back at the village, to Mm -hmm. find out what happened. Who's Ronald? Her brother. Okay. Okay, yeah, her brother was there. That's right. Yeah, her brother. Her brother was there. Okay. And uh, side note, because I don't talk about it at all, was actually he... He would go down with her, you know, just, I guess, like brotherly love. But he also found solace in what she was doing. And so he actually, he was 300 pounds. And he fasted and got down to a healthy weight. And then all this happened. And he gained it all back. And then he actually died of cardiac arrest. Hmm. So. That's too bad. So once they were there. Someone called back to the Ulsa Healing Village and had to talk to Ronald. They said, we hit a little boy, and when they told me that he was on life support, and then the next day, he died. It was a shock. The surname of the boy's family was Lopez. She kept she kept thinking that what had happened... To hap- be fair, there is a lot of people with the surname Lopez, but yeah, I could see where that would be 
unsettling for her. At this point, she thought that that premonition that she she had about her dying, she thought maybe God had accidentally picked up the wrong Lopez at the time. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And so she actually... So she feels more, even more guilty then. Yeah. And even though she was never charged with anything, and neither was her assistant, because... You know, it wasn't the safest environment that they were driving in. And I guess it was kind of like a no-fault kind of thing. She still paid for his... She felt like it was supposed to be her. Yeah. Okay. So, but she paid for his medical care and his funeral and gave his family money. Well, that's very To nice, try though. to help help him get through. She did compensate the family for their loss. And she returned wearing the evidence of what she had been through. Lisa had blood all over her shirt when she came back. She kept the boys' shoes and brought them into the kitchen and sat at the chair and took pictures of them with her video camera, and then she told us what happened. The members of her entourage listened in shocked silence, not knowing that the boys' death would be a strange harboring of things to come. On April 25th in La Creva, Honduras, I'm, I don't know if I'm getting that name right either, I'm so sorry, while driving a rented Mitsubishi Montero SUV, Lopez swerved slightly to avoid a truck, and it's not clear if the truck was moving slowly or if it was stationary and like parked on the side then immediately to the right as she tried to avoid an oncoming car the vehicle rolled several times after hitting two trees throwing lopez and three others out of the window and finally coming to rest in a ditch on the side of the road and it should be said at this point she was the only one in a car of seven people that was wearing her seatbelt. Jeez. lopez died instantly of neck injuries and severe head trauma and she was the only person to be fatally injured in the accident. She was a month and two days shy of her 31st birthday. And there was a cameraman in the front passenger seat who was videotaping at the time. And so the last seconds leading up to the swerve that resulted in the fatal accident are actually on video. And you can find those uh, within the documentary, The Last Days of Left Eye, which I've seen. And it's Jeez. it comes... It comes so suddenly, you know, it's just, she's got like a little, like a metal Coca-Cola tin mm -hmm. that she's holding and she just kind of looks at the camera and smiles and then looks back on the road and you hear like a, <gasps> and then all of a sudden the camera goes all wonky and the screen goes black and silent and it's just, you know, at that point that she's already gone. Jeez. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to watch that. I've watched it a couple times just because it's part of the documentary. And then I rewatched right. it after this because I, I I think I tried to block it out of my mind. And I'm like, no, I need to sit down and I need to experience this. Just a few weeks after being told of the fatal accident that happened with the little boy, Ronald Lopez found himself looking into the bloodstained face of his sister, Raina, Raindrop, mm -hmm. who had just been driven back from... The, the scene of the accident. Oh, he wasn't with... He, he wasn't in the car with them, but her okay. sister her sister but, was. Yeah. The victims of the accident were taken to Liverpool Royal Hospital. Her sister was in the car and survived the, the collision. I asked Raina if everybody was all right, and she said, I don't know, Ronald recalls. I asked about Lisa, and she says, I don't know. When she says, I don't know, something came over me, and something told me that something really bad had happened. So... He jumped into a waiting vehicle, was driven to the accident scene, and he recalls Lisa's strange behavior that day. He had wondered why 
She had worn all white in the morning and then changed to all black in the evening. Pacing before she got into the uh, the SUV, when he had gotten out of the car, he saw his sister's body. He believed that Lisa, who was driving at the time of the accident, had known that she was going to die. Uh, once at the accident scene, he unleashed a profanity-laced tirade, jumping up and down and screaming before a sense of calm took hold. He reached down and he cradled his sister in his arms, just as he had cradled the little boy just weeks before. The one thing I'll never forget is the feeling of having my sister's arms go cold in my hands, he said. The hospital was like a 10-minute ride, and by the time we got there, her whole body was cold. In the early hours of her 26th birthday, Tian received the news. This is T-Boz. Right. Lisa was dead. And she, uh, she, I believe that the, the, someone contacted T-Boss first and then T-Boss let Chili know. And so they were one of the first people to find out what had happened to her. News quickly spread and her funeral in Georgia was attended by thousands of fans, famous friends, including Alicia Keys, Usher, Missy Elliott. Lopez's white casket was engraved. With the rap that she recited on TLC's number one song, Waterfalls, it reads, Dreams are hopeless aspirations in hopes of coming true. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. Following the death of Left Eye, Chili and T-Boz announced that they would finish their fourth album, which they had already begun recording, but they would never replace Lisa with a another third member. After taking a hiatus following her death, they decided to call the album 3D, which would also feature productions from... The Neptunes, Missy Elliott, Timberland, and, and a lot of other different producers and artists. And a decision was made that they would retire after the release and promotion of 3D rather than replace Lopez and continue as a new group. However, they chose to carry on as a duo. Lopez appears vocally on 3D as she had already completed her vocals for two songs for the new album. Another two songs featured her vocals from previously unreleased songs, and several of the songs eulogized Lopez. 3D was released on November 12th, 2002. It debuted at number six on the Billboard and was certified two times platinum by RIAA and uh, for two million shipped in the U.S. It failed to generate success overseas with the exception of Japan, where it released number two and achieved platinum from the RIAJ for 200,000 copies sold. Girl Talk peaked at number 28, making it their lowest charting single ever. Uh, its music video features Watkins and uh, Thomas so Chili and T-Boz alone in the live action segment and Lopez in animated uh, segments. It was followed with Hands Up, which became their first single to not enter the chart at all. Okay, so I'm going to talk uh, just about a little bit about what happened to TLC after Lisa's death. And I was actually living in New York when they had this this concert. I won tickets on the radio to this concert and then did not go. <sighs> I think I was still bummed out. Oh, okay. You're still too sad. Yeah, and I didn't know how they were going to do it. And, like, at the time, holograms weren't a thing. Also, I think I just called it a hologram. You did call it a hologram. <laughs> you mean a hologram? Yes, a hologram. Okay, so a year after Lopez's death at Zootopia, which is an annual concert hosted by a New York radio station held at Giant Stadium, uh, TLC appeared in what was announced to be their last performance. The group, introduced by Carson Daly, showed a video montage dedicated to Left Eye, and they went on to perform some songs against some footage of Lopez performing that same song wearing the same outfits where they appeared on stage. So kind of like a, kind of like a hologram. She's there, but she's not there. Okay. I mean, they did a similar thing when I saw Queen at the Hollywood Bowl. It wasn't a hologram, but they would bring on 
Freddie, and he would just be kind of bathed in this light so that you couldn't see uh, the rest of the stage. And he was larger than life. And so I think that's kind of what they did was like this video projection of her. So in in the time, and so like right after that concert that they decided to not perform anymore, nonetheless, they made a comeback in Japan. So on June 25th, 2004, Watkins and Thomas announced that they were pitching a reality show that would be eventually picked up for development by UPN titled Are You the Girl? The show debuted on the 27th of 2015. And despite media speculation that the winner of the series would become the new permanent member of TLC, T-Boz and Chili vowed never to replace Lopez with a new member. The winner of the show, uh, Tiffany Baker, recorded with Watson and Thomas on a new song, I Bet, and performed together live in concert on the finale in Atlanta. And then roughly 4.1 million viewers tuned in for the finale on September 20th, 2005, I Bet was released on the radio and on iTunes, but failed to make it onto the charts. The song later became a bonus track on a compilation album, kind of like a, a retrospective album called Now and Forever the Hits. Uh, on January 19th, 2015, TLC announced their plans to release their fifth and final album with the launch of a Kickstarter campaign. They asked the fans to help finance the project by donating a pledge of at least $5 to reach their goal of $150,000. In less than 48 hours, they surpassed their goal and became the fastest, most funded pop project in Kickstarter history. Along with other artists who donated were the New Kids on the Block, donating $10,000, Katy Perry, $5,000, Soldier Boy, Bette Midler, Justin Timberlake, all people who have never been inside my kitchen, and they raised $400,000 <laughs> in an interview published the following at the end of the campaign they clarified that they would never split up following the release of the promotional album and they, they would continue to perform as tlc so they didn't in their legacy again they just matured they 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 made a change so instead of ending something they just shifted it yeah to yeah. accommodate yeah and i can only imagine what they were going through at the time you know should they be producing this music without Lisa, should they they end it? But I mean, honestly, they've they've got. I don't know if you've listened to you know any of their new stuff, but it's retrospective. It's it, not retrospective. It's introspective. It's reminiscent more of like Dear Lie, and and it's still uplifting, and it's got this this great R and B pop tone to it, and it's okay. Yeah, so if you watch the, the VH1 movie Crazy Sexy Cool, at the end, they actually bring in the real T-Boz and the real Chili, and they they um, sing one of their songs as the credits roll, okay. and it's really good. It's 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 very sweet. So I think they took this this tragic event, and they in the beginning, they weren't sure what to do or what to say, so there was like a lot of speculation, and you know, what are they going to do? And then finally, they landed on something that was still respectful to... Uh, Lisa, but that they could still do things that A, made a difference, and B, for them to be producing their art. And so right. I respect them for that, and I respect that they still haven't replaced Left Eye yet. So, Well, at 16 years later, I imagine they're not going to, and I don't know how they would or why they would. I also want to know how on earth I missed this tour, because in May 2015, they embarked on the North American tour... With New Kids on the Block and Nelly titled The Main Event Tour. How did I miss this? <laughs> I remember that. How did I miss this? Because I, I know Salt and Pepper. I didn't go to it, but I remember it. Oh, man. 
I am angry at myself. It was their first tour in 15 years since the completion of their fan mail tour in 2000. Subsequently, they embarked on TLC 2016-2017 tour and the I Love the 90s tour, the Party Continues tour. During the development of their album, they petitioned Lisa's brother for assistance with making Left Left Eye's presence on the album possible since he had an abundance of unreleased material. However, while being interviewed by the Toronto music station The Move on September 21st, Thomas stated, actually, on the last album after she passed away, we went through a lot of her raps and used those. I don't think so because we've already done that. So that was a quote from her. On October 28th, 2016, TLC released new songs on the album called Joyride and Haters in Japan. So they're really big in Japan. Right. Their fifth and final studio album, TLC, was released on June 30th, 2017. It was reported to have collaborations from Dallas Austin, which was their producer from before, and then Chili's on-again, off-again boyfriend. Right. Their final album was released on 2017. It didn't actually get radio play. It was just released on major digital outlets and streaming services. The single was produced by DeMille and released on TLC's newly formed independent label as 852 Music, which is distributed through Red Distribution in the U.S. It sold 12,000 copies domestically in the first week. So Vi believed that there would be no all-black female R&B group having a chemistry, culture, and commercial impact as remotely comparable to TLC and, and dubbed Crazy Sexy Cool as the blueprint for female ensembles to follow. The Philippine Daily Inquirer called TLC the most influential female group the world has ever seen. Singer Beyonce, the former lead singer of Destiny's Child, stated that TLC influenced just about every female group that's out there now, and they're definitely influencing Def- Destiny's Child. So that was like during Destiny's Child time. Right. Um, Craig J.C. from Clutch wrote that TLC were big and influential during the 90s and that their contemporaries such as SWV, Total, Black, 3LW, Brownstone, 702, Jade, Escape, and En Vogue did not have TLC's crossover appeal. David A. Keeps from Rolling Stone explained the impact of TLC. TLC, TLC's, and this is a quote from from him, TLC's career has been filled with both hits and headlines. The group was one of the few R&B acts to build a strong identity after its initial success. They exerted more control over each successive record. Their music, particularly 11 million selling Crazy Sexy Cool and the 6 million selling Fan Mail, both of which won two Grammys each, set the standard for contemporary R&B. TLC helped pioneer a deafening blend of acoustic and computer sounds that paved the way for groups like Destiny's Child, as did their image as independent women. Whether it's addressing AIDS and Waterfall or the struggle of female self-esteem and unpretty, they showed themselves able to take serious issues to the top of the pop charts. In conclusion, TLC is the best-selling American girl group of all times, with 65 million records sold worldwide, along with being the second best-selling girl group worldwide, according to the Recording Industry Association of America, which is what I was referring to when I say RIAA. TLC is the best female singing group in American history with 22 million certified albums. Along with the Dixie Chicks, TLC is one of the two female singing groups to receive the RIAA Diamond Award, which indicates sales of 10 million copies. 
According to Billboard, TLC is the second most successful girl group of all time on the Billboard charts behind only the Supremes. So only two girl groups in history have ever gotten diamond certification? Let's not yell about this. <laughs> this is going to be another short set where we well, talk no, about just... the gender bias. No, 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 no. I'm not going to yell about that. But it just seems crazy that no other girl. But I suppose there's not really a lot of girl groups out there at this point anymore. I mean, okay, mm. I'll accept it and move on. <laughs> In 2003, shortly after Lopez's death, her family started the Lisa Lopez Foundation, a charitable group dedicated to providing neglected and abandoned youth with the resources necessary to increase their quality of life. Her spiritual motto was one that they used for the foundation. Energy never dies, it just transforms. That's nice. In August 2007, the foundation hosted a charity auction selling items donated by celebrities. It raised approximately $5,000 for the Home of Love, an orphanage in Honduras. And in 2012, the foundation began hosting annual music festivals known as the Left Eye Music Fest in Decatur, Georgia. So, I mean, that that's a, that's a great way to... to honor a legacy that's a great way to honor a legacy yeah is, it is. is knowing that toward the end of her life she was so giving and so caring to others and now her spirit lives on in that foundation and that music fest you're flapping it i can I'm hear sorry. it in my thing sorry <laughs> and so i'm just going to end on two quotes by her do you want fun facts or two quotes first quotes and then fun facts okay so there, a quote from, these are two quotes from Lisa Left Eye Lopez. There is a thin line between genius and insanity, and I always get labeled as being the crazy one. <laughs> I like that. The next quote is, I've always been a very spiritual woman. I think that we have different heavens. Mine will probably be me reliving my life over and over. And, and I actually that's actually like, kind of cool. I, that that I, I wanted that to be the final quote because that her life was so good that she just wants to live it over and over again, even with all even the, with all the hard stuff, even with all the hard stuff, and with all the turmoil and the violence and and what she had to endure. Her heaven is still the life that she had, and that for me, okay, I'm not gonna cry. I'm gonna give three fun facts. She was ranked. Number 80 in Stuff Magazine's 102 Sexiest Women in the World. Okay. <laughs> Why 102? Like they did 100, so then the next year they did 101, and the next year they did 102. <clears throat> or maybe it's just that they tried to hit 100, but then there was two that they just didn't want to leave off the list. I don't know. I don't know. If you worked Who at knows Stuff how Magazine. people come up with these numbers? <laughs> if you worked at Stuff Magazine when Lisa Left Eye Lopez was rated number 80, could you please explain to us why there are two? Why there's 102. Yeah. And this is a really fun one. And then I want to end on a positive note. She was considered for one of the main roles in Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> I know. And I think what Tara Reid ended up being in that movie. So... Oh, did she? Yeah. I I mean, I never ended up watching it, but maybe if Left Eye had been in it, I would have. Exactly. I might have. So that's that's the life of Lisa Left Eye Lopez. And I know this one was like more TLC heavy. And so I apologize for that. But it's very integrated, as you, as you noted. Like, I mean, most of her career was TLC. And so it's very integrated. You can't not talk about them. Yeah. And I mean, and. I encourage you guys to go watch the the two movies, The Last Days of 
Lisa Left Eye Lopez, which is the documentary, and it was partially filmed by her, and it was put together by the director, Lauren Lazen, and so she she kind of put everything together, and I believe it was at Sundance, but it is, I, I think you can find it on YouTube. It's a great documentary. It's a very introspective documentary, and it was done, uh, it was released, of course, posthumously, because it does have her death in the film, and I would say... Well, it wouldn't be called The Last Days Of if yeah. it didn't include her death. But, or be, or but they released might not. Post- posthumously. I still have a hard time saying that word. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but that's a great film. And if you want to see kind of a lighter version of Lisa's more more TLC-centric, you know, it's, it's more about TLC and the journey that they had. Uh, there is a made-for-TV movie that was on VH1 called Crazy Sexy Cool, the story of TLC. Which we've referenced a couple times now. Yeah. yeah. And that's great. Uh, and like I said, Geeky Palmer plays Chili. There's a lot of great moments in it. It's really good. And it was actually produced by T-Boz and Chili. So, you know, it's from their perspective. So it's approved. Yeah, so it's it's TLC approved. And so I'd say just, you know, go check those out if you want to do more of a deep dive. And I think that's... That's about it for the episode. So if you guys want to reach out to us, if you're feeling frisky, fancy, and your pockets are heavy, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com backslash rockandrollheaven. You can find us on Twitter at rockandrollheavenlt. And you can find us on Facebook at rockandrollheavenpod, which please, guys, go friend us. Uh, go find yeah. Go like our page. Start posting on it. Be rabid animals. We love that. <laughs> rabid animals? Yes. Foam at the mouth. Well, all right then. <laughs> um, you can check us out on our Instagram at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. And with all of our social media sites, that's run by me and uh, TJ. Mm-hmm. So we're the ones that are talking so to you So one of us is answering you. One of us is answering you. It's probably, if it's misspelled, it's probably me. <laughs> And if it's six hours late, it's probably TJ. Hey, <laughs> well, you have a job, like well, you that's have work. True. So I do, I do take my breaks to check our socials. Yeah, but that's so. how you can kind of tell who's doing what if it's horribly misspelled, or says <laughs> like someone took the time to type out the word "y'all." That's probably me. Well, that's and not true. I do that too. Do you? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> so at this point, if you guys want to reach out directly to us, uh, you absolutely can. We love interaction. We but love it talking is definitely to you guys. us talking but to it's, you. It is, it is us. It is just the two of us. We do have three assistants. Their names are Lefty, Veruca, and Cheddar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't do a lot. I don't know if Cheddar can be considered an assistant. He was pulling a pretty groupy move earlier, trying to just <laughs> chill outside the curtain and listen to us. So we'd love for you to check out the website. We're still working on it, and... Uh, hopefully soon, thanks to some Patreons, we'll actually be able to buy the donate the, the the domain name. Ba ba ba! It's at the end of the episode, so my mouth gets tired. But um, <laughs> you know, with the donations to Patreon, hopefully we can buy a website that isn't rockandrollheavenl.wixsite.com backslash my site. And this will all be in the uh, the the episode description below, so you don't have to memorize that or write it down. Yep. And uh, you can email us at rockandrollheaven. LT at gmail.com. 
So, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for checking out our episode today. We really hope that you enjoyed listening to the life of Lisa Left Eye Lopez. We hope that we uh, didn't anger any record producers to be. Yeah, hopefully not. That yeah. be bad. Fingers crossed. You guys have a great week. Keep rocking in the free world. Woo. Bye, TJ. Bye, LD. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.